Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. Wow, spring is here and a lot of stuff going on. Our farm is is really busy. We got all hands on deck doing different jobs, getting some field prep work done, still doing a little bit of tiling, hoping to get those planters rolling full speed here in the coming days. One thing that we have noticed too, getting out into the fields where there hasn't been tillage done or where there hasn't been full-scale tillage done, there are a lot of winter annual weeds out there. And we're getting quite a few questions about what do I do with these weeds? What are some good burndown options? The temperature's finally starting to be decent in the upper Midwest now. When can I do a good job and what do I need to use for spring burndown? We're going to talk about using Roundup in some of those applications on today's program, but we'll also address some other spring burndown questions. Yeah, I love talking about Roundup in the spring because as an agronomist, I've tracked this for a long time, like lots of years, almost 30 years now, I've been a full-time agronomist. And we've seen so many issues with Roundup. Now, granted, 99% of the time it's worked great. But where we've seen most of the issues, most of the complaints have tracked back to cold weather spraying. So I just want to make sure that we're super clear on this. If you're listening today and you will do a spring burn down, if you're going to spray when it's cold, you're taking your chances. No herbicide works as well when it's cold as it does when it's warm. So if you can, you can save, save yourself some money by just waiting until the weather warms up and you're going to see much better performance out of any herbicide that is a contact herbicide. Now, the, the opposite, well, let's just put it this way. With residual herbicides, we get questions about the temperature. I couldn't care less what the temperature is with the residual herbicides. So if you're going to spray something with residual and that's all you're counting on, not the burn down activity, just the residual control, you do, do whatever you want to do. Spray whenever, earlier the better. But when we're after contact activity, it's Roundup, it's Gramoxone, it's Dicamba, it's 2,4-D. Whatever you're using in your burn down, just understand if that weather's cold, that's where you get yourself into trouble. So what our standard rule for years and years now has been is if the nighttime temperature within two days before or two days after spraying is below 50 degrees, we want you to increase your roundup rate by 50%, as long as it's on label, of course. If the weather's been below 32 degrees before, within a couple days before spraying, or if it's going to be below 32 within a couple days after spraying, just wait, save your money. It's not worth it. So again, you can save your money and get the best results by just waiting until the weather's warm. If you insist on spraying when it's cold, let's say the nighttime temp was 40 degrees last night and you go, look, I got to spray right now. That's fine, but we want you to increase your roundup rate and... If you can, you could throw some other things in there to speed up the performance and to give you a better shot at getting the control you're looking for. You can add a tank mix partner. You can throw in a stronger adjuvant, like let's say crop oil or methylated seed oil. Make sure you've got your rate of ammonium sulfate up. Make sure you've checked your water quality. If you've got super hard water, if you have really high pH water, if you have lots of chlorine in your water, whatever, all those things will hurt your Roundup performance, get them neutralized. It only costs pennies per acre to use something like WaterRite or BioPrep that we use on our farm, a couple of different treatments for water to get the 
chlorine out of there, or I shouldn't even say get it out of there, convert it so it's not chlorine anymore, it's chloride and it doesn't hurt, or to neutralize your calcium or magnesium or iron or copper, you really got to look at how can I give myself the best shot at making this work because the odds are already stacked against me if it's cold. So when we talk Roundup, and quite frankly, when we talk any burndown product, number one on the list is we want to make sure that weather is good. If the weather is against you, you're going to have a tough time getting great control. You know, the other thing is looking at the size of these weeds out there, Brian, and, and if they're flowering yet and, and yeah, these kinds of conditions. In the spring? No way. We're, we're mainly talking burn down here. I mean, you aren't going to have big weeds unless it's a winter annual. That's, that's that's what yeah. I'm talking about yep. here, and you know how many fields have you driven by where you've seen uh, purple henbit outbreaks out there, where you've got flowers and everything going on, and the plants are just in a different stage. And we see that, like I just equate it to pasture spraying, how different it is to control some of these biennials and perennial weeds when they're blooming versus just before the bloom, and uh, you just have to keep in mind how many growing points some of these weeds have, and how big of a root system they've got, and how much it's going to take to get that lethal dose through the whole plant. So again, if you're going to be using Roundup in the spring, number one thing is look at temperature. Yes, like Darren's saying, hey, if you get a winter annual, if you get a perennial, you got to have your rate up already. But if that nighttime temperature is below 50 degrees, that's our number one factor. That's where you've got to be bumping that that rate. I had a question, same type of thing, dicamba, just a couple of days ago from an agronomist. And he said, well, what do you think? Here's here's what the weather's what what the weather looks like. It's going to be in the 30s with high around 60. And I said, no way, because here's the problem: you're going to use a pint anyway. And he goes, well, could I just use a quart? And I said, no, it's not labeled. In the fall, yes, you can, but not in, in a burn down situation in front of corn or in front of extend beans. A pint is all that's labeled. So you, in, in that case, yes, you could get control if you were able to legally raise the rate, but you can't. So I, I said, I wouldn't do it. I, I'd either wait until the weather is warm and then I'd spray my decamba, or I would start mixing other things with it. Fertilizer, Roundup, uh, if it's a Roundup-resistant weed, Gramoxone, uh, crop oil, anything. Just throw something else with it to give you more performance because... I, I can tell you from firsthand experience many times, too many times, when it's cold, stuff just doesn't work well. And even like dicamba, at a pint of dicamba, I remember one year we went out and sprayed and it was probably, I don't know, 55, 60 degrees, nighttime temp around 40 or so. It was like we never even sprayed. If it would have been custom applied, I would have gone to the dealer and I would have said, you never even put any herbicide in there. It didn't work at all, not at all. But I knew we'd thrown it in there. It just flat out didn't work. Came back, sprayed the exact same thing two two weeks later when the weather was great. Everything was dead. Weather absolutely makes a difference in your spray performance. We'll talk about it all throughout the day with Spring Roundup applications. Stay tuned. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the STEPS GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need STEPS GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Your land is a legacy. 
a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Ideal for herbicide applications, the ultra-low drifts large air inducted droplets were designed to eliminate driftable fines without sacrificing coverage. Its thick three-dimensional pattern creates multiple angles for the spray to cover the target. Hypro, helping you spray better. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today on our show today. We are going to talk a little about spring roundup applications, but we would be happy to take your phone call and talk about anything going on in your farm. Our phone number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com. We'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag a little later in the show. And you can find us on Twitter, AgPHDMedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. Well, we're going to start out the show today just talking a little about the grain markets for just a little bit. we got our friend Scott Harms on with us. He is with Grain PhD in Archer Financial Services. Scott, how are you doing today? Oh, doing okay, Brian. <laughs> you know, sooner or later, Scott, I mean, just the by sheer odds, eventually we're, we're going to have a positive conversation here about grain markets. I, I want to have, I want to be on on a day when we're up 20 cents in corn and 50 cents in beans. But I'm impatiently waiting for that to occur. Unfortunately, I have more of the same. Yeah. Today. Now, as I'm, as I'm chuckling about this, I, I just want all our listeners to understand we have a lot of grain we sitting have on grain our farm in our bins so, from yes. last year. Uh, we have a lot of corn and soybeans. We are going to put in the ground this year on hope, on faith that things are going to turn out okay. So I, 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 I'm, I'm, well, I'm chuckling about this. Believe me, I understand the financial impact of this. I'm just hoping for the best as we move forward here. But Scott, uh, the crude oil price—that's probably been the biggest news today. Uh, that that looks like that's really weighing heavily on our markets. What what uh, what what can you tell us about that? What's the outlook with that? Yeah, I mean, uh, when we, nowadays when we have conversations about uh, grain outlook and can we recover and what kind of pricing opportunities can we see, we pretty much start the conversation with crude oil and we end the conversation with crude oil because it is such a big part of our corn usage and the driver of ethanol. Uh, today was a historic day in uh, crude oil, and I think a lot of people are going to be trying to explain this, uh, what happened today. Uh, certainly, it was a historical day. It's never happened before. Crude oil uh, went to negative on the spot contract, the May contract. 
uh, went to negative $35, meaning they're going to pay you $35 to take it off their hands in theory. And now, the, this did happen in the May contract, and it was expired, expires tomorrow. So a lot of it is about a liquidity and an illiquid market, but a lot of it is about convergence to the cash uh, because right now we just don't have a place to take this crude. So people that were anticipating taking delivery of crude oil um, thought it was a good value at some point. Uh, they have no place to take the actual physical. There's no delivery spots for, or no uh, storage for it. So they have to turn those sales back onto the market. And uh, it pressured crude, uh, the um, May crude prices down to negative 32. Now, the, the back months were only down $4. It's not good, but uh, it was definitely a phenomenon in the front month. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's likely it really got, you know, the $35 is uh, kind of a crazy uh, number. It was probably, we'll find out that there are probably some hedge funds that blew out of it um, as well and, and created that kind of break because it doesn't make economic sense that, they're willing to pay you $35 a, a barrel to take it off their hands. It, but it does accentuate and focus the, the reality that we're dealing with when it's talking about crude oil. Where production was cut 25 million barrels a day through the lockdown and the lack of usage a little last month or so. And uh, we need to get that usage back up. And that's those, those supplies build up and there's just no place for them to go. And, uh, so something we 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 often talk about in the markets where we can't go to zero and and uh, things like that. Uh, not only did crude oil go to zero today, but it went to negative thirty five dollars. Uh, so what's ahead? It simply comes down to uh, getting this economy back up and running, getting cars driving. The one thing I'll point out it was interesting today: the the wheat prices really took off today. They were up twenty cents at one point. On concerns of dryness in uh, Russia and the Black Sea region as a whole, and corn, the corn market really had a chance to decide whether it was going to be a feed grain today or whether it was going to be a fuel. And unfortunately, it, it uh, determined that it was a fuel and followed the crude oil values lower instead of following the uh, wheat prices higher. Perhaps we can get that to change as we move forward. Yeah, I guess the good news is on the COVID front, there are a lot of states in the United States that are peaking out now and hopefully heading down the right direction. We're getting more testing. We're getting better drugs. I mean, things are coming along. It's just for all of us, they can't come fast enough. And, you know, the whole thing is, it was, oh, I was going to say it was such a dramatic event. It, It wasn't like, oh, the market slightly moved this over time. I mean, it was just all of a sudden things shut off. Well, I mean, how do you you shut everything right. off all at once, and that's the problem. Right, and and uh, you know I'm an optimist, and and I just I feel like um, you know that the resiliency of, of the U.S. is we're going to get back online quicker than what people think. Not not back to pre-COVID levels. I'm not that optimistic, but we need to see. We we don't necessarily need to see the uh, disappearance of crude oil. We have to see the progress towards that. So we don't have to see, you know, the end of the tunnel. We have to see light at the end of the tunnel. And then I think things will turn around rather quickly. If we can get some of these um, stay-at-home orders lifted in certain locations, certain states, not every city and and state will be able to do that. But we need to get the progress to that direction. And I think the market will respond to that, you know, that kind of progress. What you're talking about, you know, I don't don't think we're that far away from uh, spinning things back to the positive. But unfortunately... We have to go through days like this. 
Yeah, and it always looks darkest when you're at the bottom, and hopefully that's where we're at today. Okay, sure. so a couple, couple other things, basis contracts coming due soon, uh, and then also just maybe some recent sales, or even like in our case where we still have grain sitting in the bin, you got any suggestions for any of us when we're looking at marketing now as we go into 2020 here? Yeah, I think as far as basis contracts go, we do have some that are coming up to uh, here again this month, and since we've gotten into this oversupply situation, it hasn't ended well for those holding on to basis contracts till the end of the month. Uh, so everyone's going to have to do what they want to do with those. If you try to roll them forward, it's going to cost you an eight cent spread plus fees. Um, so I guess I would consider, you know, watch very closely what happens this week. We had this negative action today. If we can recover in the midweek, maybe in the end of the week, you can go ahead and get those priced rather than kicking them down the road and, and moving them forward. And then look at these re-ownership strategies. And uh, just a couple ideas on re-ownership strategies. This goes for the basis contracts as well as people that made some sales. We're fortunate enough to make them earlier in the year and, you know, maybe want to take this opportunity to re-own it and add back to their bottom line. But simply first buying a call option. If you buy a call option, you're just paying that upfront price for that option. It's based on the amount of time you want covered and how close you are to the market. That's a one-time cost. It only... You put up that one fee, there's no additional fees and no much additional cost to you. On the, uh, you can also set up a bull call spread where you're buying the call option and selling a call option against it. In this case, you're doing it to kind of cut the cost of the overall call that you purchased, the initial call. And uh, you are limiting your upside, but um, it's a bull call spread that you know, a lot of people like to do. Again, it's a one-time cost. There's no additional fees afterwards. You also can leg into that spread by buying the call option today, maybe selling a call option against it on a rally if that were to occur. And then the last one on the re-ownership strategy side of it is just buying futures contracts. Buy a futures contract for corn, you put up $1,000 maintenance margin, and then you're responsible for any market movement against you. So it does carry the most risk, but you can protect that risk with stops. So if you want to risk $0.10 on the strategy, just put a sell stop 10 cents below your entry point. Market goes down. Most likely you're going to get stopped out at your 10 cent uh, cost. The benefit of futures is you get a one-for-one -one market movement against, you know, in your favor. So if the market goes up 10 cents, you'll gain 10 cents. You don't get that with options. So you just have to find someone that's willing to explain these strategies to you. Uh, futures is the most efficient, but you have to understand the risks and make sure it fits what you're trying to do. As far as stored bushels, you know, I, the one thing we may see with, with planners rolling here, if we can get a little bit of an uptick in demand, you know, it, we may see some basis push in some areas. Now, you know, the ethanol business is not going to come online right away, but uh, if we get some export business, perhaps you'll see basis firm up because people are getting in the field. You may want to take advantage of that with, you know, these re-ownership strategies in mind to kind of catch a move maybe later on this summer. But uh, they're tough marketing decisions. I think they're, we're going to have better pricing decisions down the road well i certainly uh, but, uh, yeah in the near term we get to watch the base yep i certainly hope so again we've been talking to scott harms just go to grainphd.com to learn more about scott and his team we'll be right back 
Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy 2 Save 3 are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Challenging field conditions often make harvest difficult. Can your cornhead handle it? The GTS X10 cornhead from Agra US is a rugged, cost-effective alternative to heavier, more traditional heads. Constructed of durable yet lightweight aluminum, the X10 puts less strain on your combine without losing harvest effectiveness. And it is 40% lighter than traditional heads, reducing field compaction in those less than ideal conditions. For more information, give us a call at 8334-AGRA US. This is a seed bag. This bag is made of craft paper with a cellophane liner and provides nothing for seed growth. This is a seed bed. It was prepared with Case IH soil management tools. It optimizes everything from nutrient access to water infiltration to create the perfect environment for early uniform emergence. Get to know why your seed bed drives productivity at caseih.com slash soil management. Before it's too late and white mold becomes a problem, you need to ask your seed dealer for Heads Up Seed Treatment. When raising soybeans in the Midwest, you know the risk of being caught unprepared. As heard on Ag PhD, there are several steps you can take prior to planting for a successful management plan against white mold. Compatible and cost-effective season-long protection starts now by asking your seed dealer to apply Heads Up to your 2020 bean seed order. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Talking spring roundup and burndown applications on today's Ag PhD radio show. Thanks for joining us. Our phone lines are open throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you have an agronomic question or want to join the discussion, real happy to have Dwight Lingenfelter with us right now at Penn State. Dwight, thanks for joining us. Well, you're welcome. Great to be here. You are blessed with warm temperatures like we are in the north in the spring and trying to kill weeds at the same time. It gets to be quite a challenge, I'm sure, in Pennsylvania, just like in South Dakota. Yeah, you're correct. Just it's you know, right right now we have a nice day. But we've been in the, the the 30s and 40s the last last several days, so it, it seems like you have hit or miss. 
And I, I suspect that's the way in other parts of the country, too. You know, we get get warm temperatures. I know we're supposed to be up in the 70s here in the middle of this week, but I look at the nighttime temperatures. We're still down in the upper 30s, low 40s. I think that's just as big a consideration for us. Have you found the same thing to be true? Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we you know, we, a couple of guidelines we typically recommend is, you know, say daytime temperatures should be at least in the, the 50s or mid-50s. And then, yeah, nighttime temperatures, you know, really should be at, at least 40 or, or greater. Um, you know, when you think about burn downs and some of these herbicides, especially glyphosate or gramoxone, seem to work work much better under, under those types of conditions. Can you talk about winter annuals just a little bit? we got a ton of winter annuals coming here. Are there some you're finding a little bit more difficult to control? And what do you see with use rates that are being successful? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the, the, the biggest one that, that, that most people are dealing with around the country um, is, is obviously mare's tail or horseweed, um, you know, not only being being an issue with burn down, but then the fact that it, it, it's uh, resistant to glyphosate and some ALS herbicides and so forth. And, and that, that can be a challenge. Um, so, so trying to determine what, uh, what different herbicide programs to, to include with that, um, uh, you know, other, other, other annu- winter annuals, you know, whether it be chickweed or, or henbit or, you know, some other, other, other um, ones that, that seem to come along. Um, yeah, they can, they can definitely be challenging as, as far as, you know, trying to determine what rate to use, you know, as, as they get a little bit more mature, um, especially as they start to, to flower and maybe um, potentially set seed, um, you know, you need to really consider consider increasing rates and, and also spray coverage is, is, a, is a big factor too. We're going to talk more about spray coverage in just a little bit. We've got uh, Nick Flights with Pentair, a, a nozzle specialist, who's going to talk to us about that. But I want to talk about tank mix partners because I'm sure you get a lot of these questions too. I, I want to mix in a residual. I want to mix in some 2,4-D. I want to mix in atrazine or something else. With all those tank mix partners, do you do you have some cautionary words in terms of antagonism or or how they work inside big weeds like these mares tail? Yeah, yeah, that's a good good point. Um, glyphosate in particular is is one that that uh, we've we've had some issues with antagonism, especially with with things like atrazine or any of these other you know clay based herbicides uh, tend to antagonize it. So so we typically you know recommend you know increasing the rate of, of Roundup or other glyphosate product by at least twenty or twenty five percent of the use rate. That generally helps overcome the antagonism. And and but but with a product like Gramoxone or Paraquat, um, with, with that you, you typically do want a uh, tank mix partner, you know, such as such as a, a triazine, whether it be atrazine or metribuzin, to really improve the the, the control of, of of some of these annuals. So so yes, you need to be aware of what uh, product you're using and, and the type of product formulation, um, and then also the the different weed species as well. Um, you know whether whether additional additional mixes, you know, with a 2,4-D or, or or you know, sharpen or something like that needs to be added to the mix in in order to improve the uh, efficacy. You know, when we look at putting Roundup out there, a lot of times we're talking about actively growing weeds, and we want them smaller. That's that's definitely a better thing. And Roundup still is effective on quite a few weeds out there. When it comes to grasses, though, we've found low rates of Roundup are still working quite well. But when we're out there in those cool temperatures, we may end up needing to run about a normal rate of Roundup just to get the control. What do you see on the grass weeds? We, we do have a lot of grass pressure, a lot of foxtails coming up in some of these fields, too. Yeah, you know, I would agree with that. You know, I, I still think glyphosate is, is one of the best best grass herbicides we have. Um, and 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 yes, and, and you're right. In most cases, you know, if if the temperatures are a little bit warmer, 
you know, we, we can reduce the, the rate and get, get effective uh, control. But, but you're right, any time that, that, that the plant is slowed down, um, you know, the metabolic processes and so forth are slowed down because of cool temperatures, the activity of that herbicide um, slows as well. So, so um, you know, increasing the rates uh, can, can help in, in, in some, sometimes, but, but again, it, it, it all depends on just the biological process of, of the plant. All right, last question, and this is, of course, no right answer, but I'm going to put you on the spot anyway. So to be actively growing, you said we just had some cold weather. Do you need two really good days in between, three good days? What's your rule of thumb? Mine has always been two days of good weather before I'd say, okay, things are starting to work again. What's your rule of thumb? Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's a good question. I, 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 I would agree with you, you know, two days, I, I think, I think, you know, maybe even three days would, would be a little bit better, but, but, you know, I, I realize too, that the, the realities of, of, you know, you know, sometimes we don't have three days to, uh, in order for that plant to recover. And, and sometimes it's best to, uh, to, you know, you know, get out there, you know, when you can in order to get, get the herbicide applied. So, yeah. so yeah, you know, I, I think you definitely have to, uh, you know, you know, do do the best you can, and, and, and you know, whatever opportunity presents itself, um, get out there and, and, and apply the products as needed. Great stuff from Dwight Lingenfelter with Penn State. Dwight, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. Uh, let's go to that nozzle and spray expert I was talking about earlier. Nick Flights here with Pentair. Nick, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, Dwight brought up a great uh, weed that I want to challenge you with, mare's tail. And I'm sure you're hearing about this all over the country. I know you've got a lot of experience working with mare's tail. I, I look at it when it kind of bolts and gets a little bit taller. How do you get coverage on both sides? Is that where you're using the nozzle incline or are you using twin fans? Or what, what are you finding that's working? Trying to get, you know, on those vertical targets, talking about mare's tail bolting. Uh, you know, anything that's more vertical, it's a very vertical weed, anything like that. There, there's two things you can really do. You know, dual fan nozzles in this case work very well, where we have a forward-facing incline. So we're going to hit that front side of the target. we got the rear-facing incline that's going to cover the real one very well. That's always a, a good option. Or a nozzle with a rear-facing incline can do that very well also. Um, you know, for just a single forward-facing incline is not going to to hit the back side of the target, that mare's tail weed very well. But either of those options, dual fan nozzle like the um, the Hypro 3D, the, the Guardian um, with a rear facing incline, those are going to hit you know the front and the back side of that target. Um, you know, hopefully we're getting out and spraying it when it's just a few inches tall uh, to to help with that challenge. You know, as it gets taller, it, it gets harder to cover the whole plant. So, you know, I would encourage everybody to try and get out there when it's a few inches tall uh, and we'll have a lot easier time getting good coverage uh, of mare's tail than when it gets, you know, six inches and above. It can be challenging. All right, let's talk about those little weeds. Let's say you've got uh, sparse coverage of weeds, not not real thick patches, but you get just some little ones all over and they're all like an inch to maybe two inches tall. I talk to a lot of farmers that say, wow, I think I'm getting a lot of my herbicide that's a contact killer landing on the ground, like Roundup, for example, if it lands on the ground, it's not really doing any good. So guys are talking about, well, I'm going to go to a little bit less spray volume. Maybe I'll go down to 10 gallons instead of doing 15, or maybe I'll go even a little under 10 to try to hold more of that concentrated droplet on the leaf. What's your strategy that's that's worked for you? 
So, you know, I don't, most of the time I don't like going much below 10 gallons an acre. I you know really the best way to improve coverage I've found is in spray volume. But I understand wanting to, to reduce volume in that uh, and keep that concentration higher. Um, you know, this time of year with, with weather conditions, there's not as much evaporation potential, not as much drip sure. potential in yep. things. There's not as much vegetation nearby that's growing that's highly sensitive. Uh, so products like glyphosate, you know, I think we can safely go with a little bit smaller droplet size. So instead of going with an ultra coarse or extra coarse, we can be more of that coarse droplet size um, that's going to get more droplets on those small weeds and retain them on the leaf surface better. I, li- and by I like doing that, that strategy. You know, we can get a more of a dose. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when we look at getting Roundup to work for, for guys with those small weeds, that's a good way to go. Not quite as big a droplet as we might do later on in the season or or uh, when we're worried more about drift. I'm talking with Nick Flights here with Pentair. Nick, thank you so much for joining us, and good luck here heading into the spring. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Closing the seed trench behind the planter is essential to establishing yields in the fall. Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer who is tired of seeing poor stands because of uneven emergence, the Germinator is here to give your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. For more information, visit us at farmshopmfg.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco Vilify and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco Vilify and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. 
Pussy may benefit from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, they're able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today talking about spring roundup applications and it's a little tricky I know for a lot of us we thought boy roundup's pretty bulletproof and it is when it's 80 degrees out and you don't have roundup resistant weeds no problem we can we can do a great job killing weeds even big ones the challenge is how does it work when it's 50 degrees or maybe 60 degrees out there and the weeds may or may not be actively growing yeah it's a lot more challenging and many products are going to fail in those environments in fact most products are going to fail that's why we're talking about that on today's program hopefully you got a few tips that we've discussed including spray droplet size and increasing rates and just watching those weeds and the weather to make sure everything's growing as as well as it could let's hit the phone lines here we've got jeremy on with us right now over in central minnesota jeremy how you doing Pretty good. How about you? Not too bad. Not too bad. What's up for you? Uh, well, <laughs> actually just coming back from the cities, hauling some fertilizer, spreading fertilizer at home. So, What was it like uh, driving people, through Minneapolis? Was it busy? Was there a lot of cars on the road? Uh, well, actually, I go trucking over the road in the wintertime. And uh, to be honest, I've never enjoyed driving through the cities and Chicago so much before as the past month. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen a lot of pictures, but I haven't been through the big cities yet, but I, I hear it's a lot easier to get around. Yeah, actually, Chicago, I think I've been driving through there about 5 o'clock, 5 p.m. every time so far, and I've never <laughs> I've never gotten under 50 miles an hour, I don't think. So, <laughs> so uh, what's happening on your farm? I understand you had a hay question for us today. Yeah, yeah, I've actually just been out spreading some fertilizer. Um I picked up a piece of ground that I could rent with maybe the possibility of buying in the next few years, but as of right now, they don't want it plowed up or anything. And the hay is kind of thin, and it's kind of getting overrun by a reed canary and some actually some scattered willows. And I'm just wondering, is there anything I could do to help get rid of the reed canary or just to make my hay crop better? Or, now, when you talk hay, what are we talking about? Alfalfa hay, uh, grass, grass hay? hay grass hey yep like some uh i think there's some timothy some june grass and whatnot out there just yeah a variety of grass hay out there yeah i was really hoping you were going to say alfalfa hay (laughs) and then then it was going to be easy but yeah for grass hay there aren't a lot of choices so there is plateau for example that's not labeled for all grasses um, and it's okay. not going to give you perfect control, but that's about the right. only one that I can really think of. So it, okay. it, we, we have, there are a lot of different types of grass out there. We talk to a lot of people in the South, for example, that have Bermuda grass. And so usually we're talking about Plateau, uh, Pastora, I mean, maybe just a couple others, MSMA. But yeah, Plateau would be, I think, your, about your best bet for that. You could give it a shot. Otherwise, what guys will typically do when they have reed canary grass is they'll just wipe everything out, kill it all with Roundup, and start all over. Right. Yep. Yep, and that's kind of what I was thinking of, but like I said, uh, I can only rent it for right now for the first couple years, and they don't want to plow it up, and (laughs) so I kind of got to deal with what I got for right now. Yep. (laughs) 
<laughs> yep. See where I can make the best of it. Yeah, and Darren, maybe you can look that up while we're talking. I don't remember if plateau. So say say again, what did you have for what kind of grass is out there? What kind of grass? Uh, are? There's some Timothy, uh, some June grass. Um, uh, yeah, it's mostly reed canary, it seems like, I guess. Yeah, yep. Um, I, I just don't I remember if Plateau is labeled on Timothy or not, and Darren, maybe you can verify that for me. But anyway, Plateau does have some activity on reed canary grass, and, and that's, okay. like I say, that's about the only one I can really think of off the top of my head that would would suppress it. Now, you know, the other thing that we talk to people about sometimes is if, let's say, they had a tall grass in a shorter grass, well, then you could use a wick or something like that, but that's not going to work for this yep. situation here. I mean, when reed canary grass typically is, uh, it's going to come up a little bit later sometimes. It's more of a cool season grass. It, yep. I, I, I mean, it, it, it might work, but I doubt that it's going to, I, I should say it comes up earlier, but Timothy also is going to be probably relatively good size by the time the reed canary grass gets tall enough where you're able to wick it. So I just don't know that that's going to be able to work. Darren, did you find anything right. for me in flat plateau? No, Labeled or not? I don't see anything on the label specifically for it or against it, but... Well, wait. Yeah, all, my only question is, is plateau labeled to use in Timothy? That's what I'm looking for. And I'm, <laughs> boy, they get a, they get a big label. I, I don't see it, but I haven't got through the whole label either. Okay, so what, uh, go. Oh, uh, what, Tim, what yeah. It, 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 oh, by the way, sorry. Uh, oh, it is okay. not oh, late. Yeah, it is not labeled for Timothy. So okay. No. Nope. Okay. So unfortunately, no, nope, uh, that's not going to work. Okay. Would uh, would plateau? Would that take care of any? There's some scattered willows growing out there. It's not. <laughs> it's no. not the highest ground in the country. There's some water out there, so that's kind of the other thing. It's like, well. Yeah, I could farm it a couple of years and probably plan on tiling it here, you know, before I tore it all up too. So. Sure. Yeah. When whenever um, you talk willows, that's a whole different thing. The plateau is basically yep. for grass. When you talk willows, okay. then we're going to go to one of the brush killers. So yep. Tordon, Chaparral, uh, maybe Remedy Ultra, something like that. The Remedy Ultra, for example, has no residual. So a lot of times, like in your case, when you say, hey, I might tile it and I might do something else with it. Well, if let's say yep. someday it had corn or beans on there, you don't want to put, well, beans anyway, you don't want to put Tordon on so or Chaparral. So that's where a, a, a person might go with some Remedy Ultra, for example. But there are a number of different brush killers. And I look at one of those instead of looking at one of these grass killers. Even Roundup isn't going to do good on the those willows. Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, do you have time for one more question? Sure. Or no? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so if it's hay ground and I was just looking at spread manure out there because it's run down. Yep. Um, what's the best way? Well, the nitrogen part of it, I know there's the organic and ammonium and the manure. Um, yep. Is the ammonium, is that going to basically be gone or lost up in the air or would rain if I got a rain right after I spread it? Would that help? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So okay. w whenever you're in a no-till, or in this case, this is no-till because it's grass uh, it's type yep. situation with manure, your very best bet is to do it right before it's going to rain. Now, obviously, the concern with that is, let's say it's a six-inch rain and it's hilly. <laughs> well, your stuff's right. going to wash down to the bottom of the hill. But if it's relatively flat and, and you're expecting a half inch or something like that, that's great. We absolutely want that. It's the same thing when you go spread urea or any form of nitrogen, if we can get some rain on it soon afterwards, that's awesome. 
Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, like that manure, like in the oh, where I do do tillage for row crops. Yep. Um, is that kind of like urea too? Like I kind of have yep. uh, basically forty eight hours before I start losing a lot of it or most of it or. Yeah. I mean, yep. The sooner you can okay. get it covered, the better off you are. And yeah, with urea, yeah. forty eight hours is a is a pretty good rule. That's what a lot of the data has shown. You don't lose much in the first forty eight hours. Manure, you actually could use some more. And let's put it this way: if you really smell it, you're losing nitrogen right away. So if it doesn't yep. smell terrible, you aren't losing a lot of nitrogen right at that point. So, and it, it really can vary with manure. You know, when we talk manure, it's whole different, like uh, than urea. Urea is always 4600 and it's, I mean, it's just consistent. Manure, as you know, is all yep. over the board. Yep, yep, exactly. Yep. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that'll work for now then. So. Okay. Thanks for the call, Jeremy. Really appreciate it and good luck to you this okay. spring. Yep, thanks. You yep. too. Have a good one. Thanks. Brian, uh, get a minute here. Let's t- dive into the Egg PhD mailbag. I got a couple it's questions. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Okay, I got one question. Uh, you did a segment talking about gibberellic acid recently, and I just was learning more about that. Discovered It was discovered in a fungus. There are dozens of gibberellins in the, in the books. You talked about GA3. GA4 and 7 are commonly used in tree crops. Have you tried any of the other uh, gibberellic acids? No, we actually haven't. We've we've been mainly working with GA3 in row crops and predominantly corn and wheat on our farm. Right. And where we see the big advantage to the gibberellic acid. So, for example, we'll talk about Rise Up Smartgrass. That's valence version of the gibberellic acid that you would use in corn and wheat and pastures and we love it in fact i was just telling some people today use it in your pasture right now these next two weeks are perfect temperatures in the 60s that's ideal for a gibberellic acid that will increase your tonnage because it's going to increase uh, your overall plant growth well stay tuned we'll be right back high yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Hey Adam, new drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree! In the power lines! Oh, it's in for the house. There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The laser. 
When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready-to-Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide. Brand new chemistry. Three no-excuse modes of action. Zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's get to this question from Perry in Arkansas who says, I'd like your input on an aggressive weed control program for intercropping corn and extend soybeans. Corn was planted Saturday. Beans will be planted tomorrow. Ideas on pre-emerge and at least a two-shot post-program. Roundup, Dicamba, Group 15 are the only post-products I'm aware of. Had to run with late-day corn to hopefully segregate the harvest. Soybeans need to be harvested first. Okay, so his question is weed control pre and post. Let me first say I'm not a big believer in doing this intercropping stuff. We tried that for, I don't remember, two or three years in our farm. Everything we gained for yield on our corn, we gave up on our soybeans. So it didn't pan out for us, and we gave it up. Plus, it's a lot more work, as you're going to find out. In terms of what you can use for pre, what we will typically do, like for a lot of our soybean and corn plots, because we do a tremendous amount of research work with Ag PhD in many states, we use a lot of Outlook. Outlook can be used as a group 15 that can be used in both corn and soybeans, no problem, pretty crop safe. So we have really liked that. The other thing that we'll usually talk to people about is we want to keep the, well, let's put it this way. We want as much pre-emerge weed control as we can get when our post-emerge options are limited, which they are when you're going to have corn together with extend beans. Now, I'll say this too. If it's me, I mean, I would I would rather use enlist corn and enlist beans because now I have another option. I've got Liberty in addition to a group four like Dicamber 2,4-D in addition to the Roundup. But anyway... Since you're going with extend beans, uh, what what I would suggest is I'd, I'd start with verdict. Verdict in the corn, you can use 10 ounces. In the soybeans, you can use 5 ounces. Just make sure you don't get a 10-ounce rate on your soybeans or they're dead. Now, the other way to handle that would be use the full rate of Outlook and just 1 ounce of Sharpen across everything. 
All Verdict is, is the combination of Outlook and Sharpen. And what I'm saying here is we just want to keep that Outlook rate up. Okay, then post-emerge, the, the big thing here is I would be using that Dicamba real early. And I would probably, I'd very much consider using a Group 15 in the early post also. So I know you just did a Group 15 with the pre, but and I know I'm asking you to do another one again, but the whole thing is when you don't have lots of choices post-emerge, what are you going to do? So there are some other herbicides that can be used in both corn and soybeans. Now, you're not going to like any of them, but I'll just list some off, and Darren, you can add to this because I'm sure I'm forgetting something. But there is Cadet that could be used in corn and soybeans. There's Resource. There's Bassagran. Um, what else you got, Darren? What else can you think of that we could use in both corn and soybeans? Yeah, well, you've got Dicamba and Roundup and the Group 15s, like you mentioned before. That's yep. about it. That's about the whole list of what goes across both crops. Now, for me, I like uh, if you've got Extend Flex down the road when that's labeled next year. If you've got Enlist E3. Well, that's what, that was my point. That's exactly what I was corn. saying there. Then outside you can at least that, do Liberty. Yeah, outside, and that's only one additional option. And then next year, you still have to deal with volunteer corn and yeah. so forth. But yep, but... Yeah, the, the volunteer corn is the killer because there's no way to take volunteer corn out of there other than you're going to have to walk it. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is potentially you could do the Liberty Link GT27 beans in the future and use an HPPD across there. But that's going to be a pre-emerge application. Yep, so it's going right. to help some, but it's not going to be the end of the world. Right. right? It's not going to be the end all be all. Right. So I, yeah. So again, make sure you get a pre-down, yep, yep. get a little bit of sharpen out there, get a group 15 out, then early post, get your dicamba out early, get your group 15, and then after that, it's roundup. Otherwise, again, you've got cadet, resource, bassagran, if you have to throw one of those in, depending on what your weed spectrum is, I'm assuming it's water hemp is the main thing we're after. Cadet's going to be the best on water hemp, hey, but thanks. it's still not great. Thanks for the question, Perry, and good luck to you. I get this question from Mark in Colorado, Brian. I got a soil test on each side of that, half of the field on one side, half the field on the other, but it's pretty similar looking across those soil tests. Mark said, after several years of trying to attack this high pH, high soluble salt farm, I thought it was time to ask for some help. The water source is really the contributing factor here on this irrigated farm. And he said, for years, we've been putting down significant amounts of elemental sulfur, 100 to 150 pounds a year to try to help leach some of this out and improve our pH. Obviously, it's not working. Where should I concentrate my efforts this year? I'm contemplating broadcasting ammonium sulfate to lower pH, but wondering if I'm throwing good money after bad. I can't change the water source, so I'm kind of stuck with the quality I've got. Outside of matching the higher pH with a more pH-tolerant crop like alfalfa or malt barley, do you have any other suggestions? My intended crop is silage corn with a yield goal of 33 tons per acre. Tile. Tile is number one. Here's the thing. He's, we're talking 1,800 parts per million of sulfur already. Adding more elemental sulfur or ammonium sulfate is going to do you zero good because your sulfur is just sitting there. So that tells us you have a drainage issue. The cation exchange capacity says 33 or 37. I believe that's a little misleading because sometimes it gets thrown off when you have high sodium. Now, your sodium isn't super high, but it's 2 to 3%. So, yeah, your yield is getting damaged right now. I'm going to assume that if you went out there and tiled this ground, then you're going to be able to improve the drainage. Now, I will say it's possible there could be some compaction out there. 
your calcium levels are good, so that part is is great. But I would really take a hard look at improving my drainage. The other thing is your base saturation K, your, your potassium numbers are too low. You're down in the twos. Your phosphorus levels are very low. You've got high pH, so we look at the Olson bicarbonate P test. you got 9 or 10 parts per million is all. That's way too low. Your zinc is too low. You're at one part per million. Your manganese is a little on the low side. Your iron is definitely low. Your copper is low. The only things on here that are what we would call good or high are the things that are leachable. Boron, normally with good drainage, we don't see boron levels this high. You're in the twos. I mean, it's great. I'm glad you are. But it's also leading me to believe, like just like along with your super high sulfur, that drainage is your problem. So my guess is you have a, a drainage issue. You need to get tile out there and maybe take a look at anything else that could possibly be done to reduce any compaction you have in your ground. All right. Thanks for the question. I get this one from Darren in Northwest Minnesota. He said, unfortunately, last year we didn't get all of our sugar beets out of the ground. We only got about 20% harvested. I want to go back in either with wheat or dry beans this year. And I'm curious about nitrogen. The university and beet agronomists or beet co-op agronomists are saying to put on an extra 20 to 40 pounds of N because the decaying beets will tie up quite a bit of nitrogen. We're normally folks that put all our nitrogen up front because we've got heavy soil, 35 to 40 CEC. Just wondering what you would do as far as um, putting out the nitrogen. Should we split apply? Could we put it all out up front with urea and stabilizer? I've heard a few different ideas. And as far as dry beans and soybeans, if we go the bean route, they say to fertilize as usual because the crop can produce its own nitrogen to compensate if needed. Okay, first thing that I would say with sugar beets is they don't do a good job hosting mycorrhiza fungi. So when we say fertilize like normal, it's, yes, fertilize like normal after sugar beets, which typically means you need a little bit more phosphorus and potassium and some of the other nutrients because you don't have as much mycorrhiza fungi there to bring what's in the soil into your plant. So you have to overcome that. In, in number one, I would consider adding a microbial product, something like MycoApply Endoprime. Number two, I would look at bumping my fertility just a little bit. Now, as as to this nitrogen question and throwing 20 to 40 more pounds out there, that makes sense to me. I don't know that you're for sure going to need that, though, in the wheat. And so if it was me, I would probably run with my normal program up front, and then I would make the decision a little bit later on and decide... Uh, hey, do I want to add some more and and go out and do a stream bar application or not? Obviously, you can go either way. I don't have a big problem if you want to put a little more nitrogen out up front, but I'm just saying if you want to give it a try and see if you need to spend the money going into this wheat crop, then you could always save that 20 to 40 pounds that you were going to apply extra and put that on just a little bit later. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Yeah, it's really tough with some of the situations coming out of 2019, figuring out exactly what what a person should do. And like you mentioned, with those sugar beets still laying there in the ground, part of me is just thinking about how they're going to break down and decompose. But we've we've had some at the Ag PhD Field Day, and it, it was amazing what one little pass of tillage did to speed that process up. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.